The scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to Luke. I'll be reading from chapter 14, beginning in verse 25, just eight verses or so, through verse 33. This from the Common English Bible. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, he said, Whoever comes to me and doesn't hate father and mother, spouse and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even one's own life, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If one of you wanted to build a tower, wouldn't you first sit down and calculate the cost to determine whether you have enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when you have laid the foundation but could not finish the tower, all who see it will begin to belittle you. They will say, here's the person who began construction and couldn't complete it. Or, what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down to consider whether his 10,000 soldiers could go up against the 20,000 coming against him? And if he didn't think he could win, he would send a representative to discuss terms of peace while his enemy was still a long way off. In the same way, None of you who are unwilling to give up all your possessions can be my disciple. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and lots of courage for interpretation. I thought the word grit was the singular form of a southern favorite dish made of ground corn. But as it turns out, the term grit is all the rage today and has been for the past several years. You can find the word grit if you start to look around for it in the business world, in parenting books, God help us, self-help magazine articles, and nearly any place you look on the internets. So I'm borrowing it, the word grit, and I'm coining it as a phrase. I'm sure someone else has probably beaten me to it to enhance what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In essence, what it means to have spiritual grit. Well, I think in that sense, it means you have courage. It means you show a certain strength of character. It means you have passion and perseverance. Goals are set and followed through. A person who works really hard to follow on through their commitments all the way to see them to fruition, they have true grit. I'm suggesting today that following the way of Jesus in this world in which we live requires true spiritual grit. It is not easy, and it requires all these things I've mentioned here, true work. In other words, to say it this way, discipleship done right is very, very demanding. There was something exciting and magnetic about the personality, I think, of Jesus of Nazareth that drew great crowds wherever he went. Most likely it was the power with which he spoke or perhaps the command of the scriptures with which he spoke or or maybe it was just that he brought really good news to people during a really bad time. Wouldn't that be why the Greeks would call his gospel the word that means today good news? Yes, there was something very captivating about this Jesus and his message. That being said, however, it is important to note that not everybody who followed Jesus was all there for the same reason. 
Some followed him because they were curious, onlookers. Others followed him because they were spies, if you will, from the camp of the day's religious and governmental leaders. They wanted to see what he was up to and catch him. Maybe he would do something so that they could report it back to the folks at whatever headquarters they were spies from. Some people came looking as they followed him for healing, and others were just looking for hope. And some followed after Jesus because they had committed themselves to being his disciples and to gleaning some new life direction from the messages that he was preaching. Now, when I use the word disciple in this context, I'm not speaking just about the 12, okay, who were exclusively called out and whose names we actually know. When I use the word disciple here, I'm, I'm speaking about the masses who also joined him as he went from town to town preaching his message. There were droves of them, and what they believed about Jesus is not exactly clear. Yet they seemed to have this one thing in common. They had committed themselves to following him and to learn from him whatever they could glean as they journeyed along. And no doubt among the masses were some new converts as well as other, others who, who were contemplating the possibility of becoming disciples. And so in that context, Jesus addressed the multitudes in no uncertain terms about just exactly what being one of his disciples entails. He emphasizes the difficulty of discipleship by using three very strong cannot statements. Maybe you heard them when I read the scripture a moment ago. He is saying following him would require some true spiritual grit, I think, to put it our way that we're using today. Listen to these three cannot statements again pulled out of, of the scripture. First, if anyone comes to me, Jesus says, and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, they cannot be my disciple. Now those are strong words and they're followed by more like them. They don't get any easier. The second, he says, and anyone who does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then third, he says, any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Now, can you imagine any pastor trying to grow the membership of a church and standing up front and advertising what's coming and saying, hey, come next Sunday and we'll tell you how hard it is to join our church. Can you imagine? First, hey, you got to hate your family. Hey, then you have to act like a condemned criminal and carry your cross around. And along with that, we expect you to give up everything you've worked so hard to have. Do these things and you can call yourself a member. Welcome to the church. And yet that's the essence of what Jesus says spiritual discipleship requires. It requires a certain spiritual grit. The first thing that Jesus says here, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple? Really? What in the world does Jesus mean? In the tradition of the church since the Reformation, the most important rule of understanding what the Bible says when you reach some kind of scripture like this that seems puzzling is that you immediately start to compare scripture with other scripture. That is, when we come upon something like this, we ask ourselves what other similar passage of Scripture might help enlighten us. And what we discover when you begin to do that is that this Aramaic word for hate that Jesus uses here is actually a comparative verb. It actually means to love much less 
than. So in short, Jesus isn't commanding someone just to go out proactively with hate or disdain for someone else, let alone their families. But what he's doing, he's speaking in sharp terms to prove his point. And his point is that if a person truly desires to imitate Jesus, and in this way to follow Jesus, if one is to be successful at it and deepen their commitment with spiritual grit, you might say, that it will take even one's commitment to their only their family members to pale in comparison. That's challenging, still challenging. Sounds a little easier on the ear than the word hate, but no less challenging. Now I'll confess here that one of the major problems many would-be followers of Jesus have about mustering up this kind of commitment to profess loyalty to this following Jesus thing we're talking about, to this life of discipleship, it has more to do with the bad examples of Christian discipleship that we've seen throughout the years. Richard Rohr, priest and author, has summarized well the dilemma. And listen closely, this, this has one, become one of my favorite quotes And if you don't know Richard Rohr, I would challenge you to get to know some of his writings. He said this, Christianity is a lifestyle, a way of being in the world that is simple, nonviolent, shared, and loving. However, we made it into an established religion and all that goes with that and have avoided the lifestyle change itself. One could be warlike, greedy, racist, selfish, and vain in most of Christian history, and still believe privately in one's heart of hearts that Jesus is their, quote, personal Lord and Savior. The world has no such time for this kind of silliness anymore. The suffering on earth is too great. Why would Jesus be using such strong language and describing such a high commitment level if the essence of the Christian faith had nothing to do with how we live our lives? He wouldn't be. You know, if it were just merely a code of internal private beliefs that didn't translate into faithful attitudes and actions, it's because following Jesus requires an incredibly difficult commitment to change our attitudes, and not only inside attitudes, but then the way that we live out our attitudes. That is part of our faith. In essence, I suppose you could say, it also gets political because in the broadest sense, Politics are the rules by which we agree to live by and the ways that we treat one another in the social settings. Now look at this very difficult thing Jesus says secondly. He also goes on to say, anyone who does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now I'm sure this, you know, we've heard it enough times and we're 2,000 years removed from this, but those who were standing there listening to this would have been absolutely shocked by this statement. Uh, And I'm sure it would have taken some of their breath. For in all likelihood, some of these people had witnessed the public shame and humiliation of a condemned criminal carrying usually his cross through the city streets to the place of execution, just as Jesus would later do. As the writer to the Hebrews described, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Those people got this picture of carrying their cross really fast, I'm sure, and were likely shocked as to why in the world Jesus would make such an impossible ask of anyone desiring to be his disciple. Now the answer to this one is actually rather simple when we understand the context in which the words were spoken. You see, many people in that crowd that had followed Jesus, they'd been looking forward to the dawning of a new day, and now it looked as though it were here. The kingdom of heaven was at hand, they thought, and Jesus had said this as he began his ministry. 
And so some who heard wrongly assumed that to mean an age of victory over Rome's occupying forces was just around the corner and that peace and prosperity would soon be theirs at no personal sacrifice. Indeed, some Christians still imagine this when they start to follow the way of Jesus. It's actually a phenomenon here in the Bible Belt. It's kind of part of the Bible Belt expression of the Christian faith to focus more on the afterlife than on this life. It's not a helpful or accurate imitation of the faith and way of Jesus of Nazareth to presume that he came to help people escape this world primarily for the sake of some other world. That would not be a difficult or challenging invitation to discipleship to just say to people, hey, hang in there, think the right stuff about God and Jesus, and you'll get out of this world unscathed with no sacrifice. I mean, Jesus paid it all. Discipleship means we work to transform this world, and that's why it's so difficult. You see, followers of Jesus are called to engage, to work tirelessly for positive change and a world where the dignity of each and every person is celebrated and cherished equally. And the road is long, and the suffering is great, and there are ups and there are downs. The burden of working for peace in a violent world is extremely taxing and heavy. That's why Jesus said, take up your own cross. If you're going to make a difference, it won't be by practicing a privatized, top-secret religion. It will be a public, heavy, shared path where we each commit to putting our shoulder underneath this heavy commitment and marching toward the goal of a transform, transformed world where love is the official language and where peace is the climate. And then Jesus says this last cannot phrase, any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Now, I'm sorry, it just seems like Jesus is getting a little pushy, don't you think? I mean, what kind of demand is this? Some Christians, uh, they've experienced literally this, what we're talking about. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran confessing church pastor and a leader in the resistance movement against the Third Reich in Germany, wrote from a Nazi prison just before he went to the gallows to be killed for following Jesus. When Christ calls a person, Christ bids him come and die. Now, that's not really fun news either, let's be honest. And at the very least, Jesus was saying, it's impossible to follow me when your hands are full of your stuff. That's what he was getting at with this last thing. Possessions are not bad in and of themselves. It's how we treat our possessions. It's how we think about our possessions. The real question is, do we possess our stuff or does our stuff possess us? Do we endeavor to own so many things that we spend the bulk of our lives and energy worrying about caring for it and paying for it or taking inventory of it? Jesus was saying that would-be followers would do much better imitating him if we're not consumed by our stuff. So here's the summary of these three things. Number one, discipleship requires supreme commitment. Number two, the burden is heavy. And number three, the burden is so heavy, we have to lay down some of our stuff in order to hold the mantle of discipleship. So can you see why this type of lifestyle would require an enormous amount of spiritual grit to really pull it off? Can you see why this type of marketing plan wouldn't be so slick today? 
Can you see why so many modern Christians who spend time in what I call culture wars are totally missing the mark? You know what I mean. The ones sitting around saying, hey, don't tell me happy holidays. Merry Christmas is the only way. You know the ones sitting around that want to dictate what kind of stups, you know, cups that Starbucks coffee will use this year and arguing about so-called religious freedom when what they're really wanting is everyone to believe and act just like they do? Do you see why this kind of behavior is counter to this message of discipleship, to the love, to the humility, and the deep spirit of service and advocacy for human dignity and equality that Jesus is really seeking from disciples? You see, true discipleship is not an invitation to close oneself off from the pain and sufferings of this world and wait for some other world, but rather true discipleship is an invitation to immerse oneself deeply into the pains and sufferings of this world for the sake of standing with those who are suffering and hurting. True discipleship may mean shouldering the burden of another's cross while laying down the weight of one's own for a while. True discipleship calls us to, not to look for rewards, but to look for pain and to look for hurting people and to find places to serve for ways to change our own impulses and move away from self-preservation and self-promotion to the emptying of ourselves and to self-sacrifice for the sake of others if need be. True discipleship is not a response to a call to rule and reign over others, but to use whatever influence we have, whatever talents we have, whatever energy or passion we do have for the sake of building a better world. One where love is the language, where peace is the climate, and where justice is the currency. True discipleship isn't getting all you can out of the faith so you feel more secure about yourself. The kind of faith Jesus taught about means taking whatever we have and using it for the greater good. It's not a super slick marketing plan. That was never its intent. But we are not called to live out this kind of incredible commitment by ourselves. This is the part where spiritual grit, when we seem to be lacking others that are close to us in Christian community, may have some to share. We have one another for this journey. And we need one another for this journey. Because this kind of true discipleship requires all the strength we can muster. And every ounce of spiritual grit we can find. Fortunately, grit is in good supply with God for them that are willing to take up their cross and follow Jesus. Amen.